0: Have you ever been frustrated when trying to share your faith with your Latter-day Saint friend? Well, if so, may we suggest the book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, by Eric Johnson. Introducing Christianity to Mormons is available at the Utah Christian Research Center, located at 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. Hours are Wednesday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. For more information, please visit Utah Christian Research Viewpoint on Mormonism
1: So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Well, you could say that between last week and this week, we've been talking a lot about the mistreatment of members in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who were of Black African heritage. Now, of course, the Church changed its position regarding the granting of priesthood to worthy male members, no matter what their skin color or heritage. But up until 1978, that was not the case. And we've been going through a book titled Saints, Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. And as I mentioned this week, this is the third installment of four history books by the title of Saints. And this one happened to come out in 2022. And I want to say that I do commend it for being much more transparent and even honest in some of the embarrassing history of the LDS Church. But at the same time, I think there's some things being said in this book that probably should have been made clearer to the readers who may not be fully aware of some of the history of the LDS Church. Now, In yesterday's show, we ended with the story of Marie Graves and how Marie Graves and her husband William were treated differently. They were from California, had no problem being black members of a branch. A branch would be a small congregation, smaller than a ward, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The book says that they were welcome and fully integrated as members of their branch in California, but when they visited a branch in the southern United States, States, she was asked to leave because of the color of her skin. When she writes to President Heber J. Grant, Grant doesn't intervene. There's no punishment for this. He's allowed to let that decision stand. And this is where we are now on near the bottom of page 245, where it talks about how In the case of Marie Graves, the First Presidency did not ask the congregation to integrate for fear that challenging racial codes like those in the South put both black and white saints at risk. And, Eric, I thought you were very appropriate in noting you would think in light of that behavior that it tends to undermine the subtitle of this book, which is boldly, nobly, and independent. Obviously, that was not the choice that Heber J. Grant took at that particular time. But what does it say at the bottom of that page, 245?
2: Some people in the church sought exceptions to this practice. During his visit to the Pacific Islands, Elder David O. McKay had written to President Grant asking if an exception could be made for a black Latter-day Saint who had married a Polynesian woman and together raised a large family in the church. Quote, David, I am as sympathetic as you are, but until the Lord gives us a revelation regarding that matter, we shall have to maintain the policy of the church.
1: Now, what's interesting is this is talking about David O. McKay. Now, David O. McKay would later become the president of the church. You would think if he was really all that sympathetic, David O. McKay would have led the way in having that reversed. But what's interesting about David O. McKay was when he was asked by a reporter about this prohibition of blacks holding the priesthood and not receiving the same type of privileges as other members, he pointed to Scripture, LDS Scripture, the book of Abraham, Abraham chapter 1, as being the reason why they were not allowed to hold the priesthood.
2: Uh, This is what he said, I know of no scriptural basis for denying the priesthood to Negroes other than one verse in the book of Abraham.
1: One verse in the book of Abraham, and so here he's going to his own scriptures to support this kind of disparity in the church. But yet in 1978, apparently the church ignored that very verse that David O. McKay was pointing to.
2: But you have to ask the question, Bill, why would he even ask this question of asking for an exception, if you allow exception here, then you're going to have to allow exceptions elsewhere. Just because he married a Polynesian woman and they raised a large family in the church, he has the ability to somehow hold the priesthood? That would be something that would change everything. So of course Grant is not going to allow for that. I'm not sure why the question was ever asked in the first place.
1: I have some concern as to the wording in this paragraph near the top of page 246, where Grant responds by saying, until the Lord gives us a revelation regarding that matter, we shall have to maintain the policy of the church. Now, I can just see Latter-day Saints going, see, he didn't use the word doctrine. Well, wait a minute. First of all, he gives credit to the Lord for this type of a restriction. He's not going to grant an exception to this couple, one of whom is black and the other is Polynesian, because the Lord's involved in this decision. He needs to give a revelation regarding that matter. Why would you need a revelation in order to reverse a policy change? If it's just merely a policy change, like what kind of DVDs can you play on a player in a local ward building that's a policy. But if it's merely just a policy like that, why would you need a revelation? Now, here's where where I'm going with this. You can have a doctrine, and the doctrine allows for certain policies. And maybe what I take from this is that Heber J. Grant saw them both combine, policy and doctrine being on an equal footing here. Because of the doctrine, this is why we have this policy, but it still goes back to the doctrine. And there's no way that they can say that prohibiting Blacks from holding the priesthood was not a doctrine because it was described that way by too many leaders.
2: Bill, the next paragraph says, Beginning in the early 1900s, church leaders taught that any saint known to have Black African ancestry, however small, would be restricted. Yet the uncertainty about some saint's racial identity created inconsistencies in how the restriction was applied. Nelson Ritchie, the son of a black woman and a white man, knew little about his parents' history when he and his wife Annie, a white woman, joined the church in Utah. He had light skin, and many of his children were thought to be white. When two of his daughters were ready for marriage, they entered the temple and received the endowment and sealing ordinances. Later, however, when Nelson and Annie desired to be sealed in the temple, their bishop questioned Nelson about his ancestry. Nelson told him what he understood about his parents, and the bishop took the case to the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, who sent the question back to the bishop to decide. In the end, the bishop affirmed that Nelson and Annie were good Latter-day Saints, but he declined to issue Nelson a temple recommend because of his ancestry.
1: So, they appeal to the higher-ups in the church, the guys who should be able to speak for the church, and those leaders, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve, kick it back to the lower level. Are you catching this, folks? Are you, are you catching what's going on here? This is an embarrassing situation for the church. This bishop doesn't know what to do with this, so he goes to his higher-ups, and they say, we don't want to touch this. You deal with it. So he comes down with a decision that I'm sure many modern Latter-day Saints would find abhorrent. But why did he decide that way? Well, I think the answer is up above when it says beginning in the early 1900s. And first of all, I think that's questionable Because just this week, we read a statement from Wilford Woodruff, who was the fourth president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who in his diary recorded what he had heard President Brigham Young say regarding this idea if a person had one drop of Negro blood, it prohibited that individual from having priesthood. That's in the 1850s when that takes place. So why this book is saying beginning in the early 1900s, church leaders taught that any saint known to have black African ancestry, however small, would be restricted. No, that was actually going on for quite a long time before the early 1900s. And I'm assuming when the Ritchie's bishop made his decision, he probably knew about this. Why wouldn't he know about that? It seems like this is a pretty well-known idea that's embedded in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at that time. Now, as I asked about the earlier example that was given, when it talks about Marie Graves being asked to leave an LDS meeting in the southern United States because of the color of her skin, it says, I can only ask that same question when it comes to Nelson and Annie Ritchie. How did they feel about that? They're both, we assume, faithful members of the Church. They believe, no doubt, that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. They probably believe that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, all the standard things that Latter-day Saints are supposed to believe. They probably view themselves as being just as faithful a member as other members in the Church, but yet they're being told by their bishop, after he appealed to the higher-ups in the Church— They go to the bishop, and the bishop says, sorry, your husband, Nelson, because of his heritage, cannot get a temple recommend. He cannot go to the temple and participate in the same type of ceremonies as other members in the church. How do you think they felt about that?
2: I'm sure not very good, because this is supposed to be God's church. Is God a racist? That's, I think, probably going through their minds. It's not fair. Bill, the section ends on page 247 and it says, while many saints shared the racial prejudice of the time, most disapproved of organizations that use secrecy, lawlessness, and violence
1: to oppress others. Let me stop you there because as you're reading that, I'm thinking, um, wait a minute. The Church itself was involved in secrecy, lawlessness, and violence with the Danites during the time of Joseph Smith. I I wonder if there's a lot of Latter-day Saints reading that sentence that probably thought of the same thing I thought of. Well, gee, there are times when they didn't have a problem with secrecy, lawlessness, and violence to oppress others. But let me just comment on that. While many saints shared the racial prejudice of the time, That's a telling admission, and I think it goes back to what we read on page 245, where it says, few people in the United States or elsewhere believe black and white people should mingle socially. It seems like we are getting a confirmation on page 247 that, of course, Latter-day Saints did share in this type of racial prejudice.
2: It continues after the Ku Klux Klan spread to Utah in the early nineteen twenties, President Grant and other church leaders denounced it in general conference and used their influence to stop it. Few church members ever joined the group. When a Klan leader sought a meeting with church leaders, President Grant refused the request. Quote, It is beyond my comprehension how people holding the priesthood will want to associate
1: themselves with the Ku Klux Klan, end quote. That's the end of that section as you mentioned. But I look at that statement made by Heber J. Grant, it is beyond my comprehension how people holding the priesthood will want to associate themselves with the Ku Klux Klan. I could ask the question, it's beyond my comprehension how people holding this unique priesthood of Mormonism would want to associate themselves with an organization, a religious organization that claims to be the only true church and yet treats its members the way we've seen it treat these members that are mentioned in the pages of this book. Book, which is published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints
0: Thank you for listening If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org where you can request our free newsletter Mormonism Researched We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism